All right, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 7. And we're going to be starting our new series for the month of January called The Weapons of Our Warfare. You recognize this morning, especially those of you that are new to our faith, the church isn't a cruise ship, it's a battleship. And a lot of times people come to the faith thinking that, oh, all the problems are going to be over, and now I can have an easy life. And the truth is, is you're not getting recruited into a cruise ship, you're getting recruited into a battleship. You hear phrases like the army of the Lord, you hear phrases like a good soldier, uh, fighting the good fight in Scripture. You recognize that you're birthed into a kingdom that is at war with an enemy that wants to try to not just take you out, but take fellow people out. And so you get recruited in this thing, and oftentimes you get recruited into a battle that you're not aware of. And this pastor wants to remind some of us today, and also some of the new believers today, that we are in a battle, and we got to be careful that the weapons that we wage this warfare in are not the carnal ones, but they're the ones that are spirit-led in Jesus' name. Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-7 through 7 says. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. You'll read scriptures about being earthen vessels. We have a home. This is not it. Earth is, Grants Pass is not my home. Vacaville is not my home. Marysville, Yuba City, Linda area is not my home. Heaven's my home. We're just passing through. The stuff, this building, this building is not the church. The people in the, in the building are, is the church. We're part of not just a, a local body, but we're part of the army of God that, is, that is, should be seeking out to do kingdom things. And we recognize that because we are waging war, the Bible says in this verse, not according to our flesh, but according to the Spirit, that we have to learn that there are new kingdom rules that apply to us, those of us that are passing through. Let me give you an example of a kingdom rule. You guys, uh, those of you that are maybe new to the faith, but those of you that are know, you guys remember the parable of the talents. Jesus didn't spend a whole lot of time giving his disciples, if you read the Gospels, facts about Scripture. He spent a lot of his time trying to speak to them about truths found in Scripture. I need to pause right there so that can, get, that can seek into you. Oftentimes, we relate deep Bible study into knowing facts. Like, what's the longest chapter in the Bible? Or who is the oldest person in, in, to ever have lived? And if you're not careful, you'll equate facts from Scripture. Though Those are good. I don't want emails this week telling me that you should learn facts of Scripture. Of course you should learn facts of Scripture. But Jesus spent a lot of his time talking in parables and teaching people about the kingdom rules. The kingdom of heaven is like. So one, one such example is the parable of the talents. Those of you that remember, he, he, he gave people a measure, three of them, a measure, and two of them doubled the measure, and one of them, in survival mode, buried the talent and returned back the thing that was given to him. And what does Scripture say about that kingdom principle? The person that buried it in survival mode and did not double or did not even go to the bank full of interest the, 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 the ruler called him a wicked person who didn't know the kingdom. Depart from me. But those that doubled, he said, well done, and I'm going to give you the other. This is the kingdom principle. Faithfulness is not survival. Faithfulness is doubling the gifts that God's given you in multiplication. 
It's a kingdom rule. So if you think that the church's job is just to survive, never take any risks, never have vision, never have faith, never believe God for something more, never, never, never uh, run. This church built on a swamp was not built from men who didn't take risks. The, the fact that we're sitting in this room should prove to you that how the kingdom advances is not oftentimes by reason. It's by faith. Reason would tell the people that got the command to walk around the walls of Jericho. I don't know about you, but if I ever got the command to walk around the walls of Jericho and on the seventh day do it the seventh time and then shout, I, I'm going to be honest, this left to right thinker would look at that kind of faith and go, not me. Could you imagine walking around the walls and then screaming like a banshee? And then people looking at you going, yeah, what is going on there? Faith oftentimes, if we're not careful, uh, becomes this thing where it attacks our reasoning. It's not to say that the gospel doesn't have reasoning. It's not to say that, that we don't have apologetics and we cannot defend our faith. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying sometimes God will ask you to do the thing that is contrary to your reasoning. So if you're not careful, you'll wage war with human philosophy. There's a lot of that in the church. Human reasoning. If you're not careful, you'll be part of human reasoning. You'll, you'll start to get formulas where you equate kingdom growth to seats in the pew. You'll equate kingdom growth to money in the bank. That's not, that's not kingdom advancement. Oftentimes, the worst thing that can happen to a church is they have money in the bank. It's because they start resting on what God did yesterday and not being faith-filled about what he wants to do tomorrow. So you got to be careful that in your life you do not equate um, facts as those being over living a life that's kingdom-based, being found faithful. So we got to recognize that we're not waging war according to the flesh. You know, oftentimes when, when the disciples met people in their, in their day-to-day life and the people asked them for money, what did they say? Silver and gold, I, I don't have. But what I do have, I'm going to give to you. And so you got to be careful that, that your impetus as a Christian believer, especially in America, you don't equate success by how many people are in this auditorium on a Sunday. By how, how, how good we're doing or bad we're doing financially. What you have to know is that it should be our job as a believer to then begin to walk out some kingdom principles. And if I can encourage you and disciple you in an area, it would be learn how to study the gospels and learn to, to the kingdom principles, as a, which I just told you that faithfulness is really multiplication. Learn the kingdom principles that are found within the word and begin to live by those principles. Here's verse number four of this scripture. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, destroy arguments, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. I, I am thankful that we have weapons that are, that are at our disposal where, where lofty opinions, arguments, and strongholds that try to come against it can't even stand in the presence of our God and the weapons that he's given us. And we're allowed to take every thought captive to what? To not sort of obey Christ. 
not half obey him, not three quarters obey him, but to be disciples and to obey Christ. Six, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Seven, and look at what is before your eyes. And if anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that as just as he is Christ's, so also are we. One of the weapons that we're given is faith. So Paul writes this, and I want to give us some background for what, what Paul wrote. Paul was in defense mode. Yes, that Paul, the Saul who became Paul, the author of almost two-thirds of the New Testament. The one who he claims, he thanks God that he speaks in tongues more than everyone. He found himself with adversity and resistance, listen to me, not from the enemy, but from fellow believers. He addressed it. He confronted it because, listen to me, his mission of building up the body would involve tearing down everything, including thoughts and philosophies that exalted itself above the truth of God's kingdom. Paul, in, in his journey to lead the church, realized that there was more battles to be faced inside the flesh of the human being found inside the church than oftentimes outside the church. Building an advancement of the kingdom faces challenges and battles from everywhere, but I believe the greatest and most important battles are the ones that we face within. Here is the truth. If you endeavor to be part of the advancing kingdom of God, resistance will be a part of it. And most of that resistance will be from carnal Christians, including the carnality that is in you and me. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a carnal Christian. I don't want to be a casual Christian. I don't want when this journey is all said and done for people to look at me and say that pastor was a carnal pastor believer who ran a good business and ran a good church, but there was never any kingdom impact done through his ministry and his life. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be part of a carnal church. I don't want to be part of a carnal ministry. I don't want to be part of a carnal body of believers. I want to be a person of the Spirit. And here is a spiritual truth that's at work, that no forward motion goes untested. Look to your neighbor and say, no forward motion goes untested. Isn't it amazing when you have those moments? I was talking to a brother that, that this, this, this morning who found himself in, in a hard situation. And, and he's got to know that the moment he dedicated his life to the Lord in the middle of that jail cell, he put a target on his back for the enemy to try to come attack him. Because no forward goes untested. But I've got great news for him. That any weapon that is formed against him will not prosper in Jesus' name. And here's why I believe that's good news for the believer of no forward motion going untested. Because victories shouldn't be easy or cheap. Ground taken without the ability to keep it is just spiritual motion. If you, it will make you look good, but you will never see any movement. And I believe the goal has to be movement because motion without movement is religion. What happens if, if we're able to take a stronghold but we don't have the character and the maturity as a Christian to keep the ground that we're taking. What we end up being is disappointed believers when God wants us to be faith-filled believers. And here's the good news. The resistance that the enemy brings that wars against you will actually strengthen you to complete the task. 
And the strength that you gain will not just allow you to win the battle, but keep the victory. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of having moments in my life where I see God begin to break through only to have the enemy take those, those things back. And it's like this constant roller coaster emotions of strongholds being destroyed and then being built back up again. And we live in, if we're not careful, especially the American Christian, we live in these cycles of victory and defeat. God, I'm never going to do that again. I promise you, get me out of this, it'll never happen. And then we, we go back into our world and we get more comfortable. And, and instead of living by kingdom principles, we live in the cycle of defeat instead of the cycle of victory. It's my hope as your pastor in 2024, not just to lead us in cycles to where we have victories and then defeats, but to where we know that we have the authority to tear down the strongholds for good. That your sons and daughters aren't just going to come to church for two or three weeks, but they're going to give their heart to Jesus, and they're going to run faith-filled towards the things of God. That's the heart. In the end, the enemy and even our own flesh can be used by God for the destroying of strongholds. And I, I believe this with all my heart, that we are to be people of faith and of the Spirit. And there is without a doubt a resistance to kingdom movement, just not from the enemy, but directly from the side of each of us that is carnal and of the flesh. Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary on page 270 defines carnal as this. Anything related to the fleshly or worldly appetites and desires rather than the godly and spiritual desires. Basic human nature is carnal, sold out to sin, and thus living in the realm of death, unable to observe God's law. People walk either in the flesh or in the spirit, leading to death or to life. The Bible says in Romans 8, the carnal person is hostile to God, unable to please God. Here's what 1 Corinthians 3 says. Even church members can be carnal, being only babes in Christ, as Paul indicated in writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Such Christians are jealous of one another and quarrel with one another. Christians should solve their problems with different weapons, and such weapons serve God's purposes to destroy human arguments and human divisions and bring glory to Christ. Let's read Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8 in a little bit more detail. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are of the flesh cannot please God. Paul was facing attacks that were carnal in nature. They were reason. They actually had validity. Their basis, though, of these attacks were rooted in human philosophy and understanding. So when Paul is writing to the church in Corinth that you better watch out because you're fighting with fleshly weapons when you're fighting a spiritual battle, a lot of the weapons that were being waged was from the people that he was trying to reach at him. Look at the five attacks. Look at, look, look at the five of the attacks that were being levied against him. 2 Corinthians 10 and 1 and verses 9 through 10, basically the attack lobbed against Paul was, you're basically just a keyboard warrior. He was only brave when he was writing letters, but cowardly in face-to-face -face situations. Little did these people know that the words that he were, was writing were, was just not for the believers in the city of Corinth, but believers for the ages to come. 
They didn't see the lack of connection, but Paul saw connection through the ages to come. He was confrontive in a way that would cause movement, not motion. I'm thankful that we serve a God that through the Holy Spirit doesn't just tell us when to speak, he tells us when not to speak. It is maturity as a believer that you hear God's voice and then you ask the Lord, am I supposed to share this? I'm thankful, to put it plainly, that he's not just the God that says speak, he's also the God that says shut up. How many times have you written a Facebook post and you heard the, the voice of the Lord say, shut up? How many times have you pounded out a text message and you heard the Lord say, shut up? Because why? We're not fighting battles just to prove a point or to win an argument. We're fighting battles so that people can win in life. And I'm thankful that Paul was realizing that the weapons of his warfare weren't just meant to win an argument, but they were, to, they were meant to win a spiritual war. Look at the second argument that, was, that, that he faced. He was seemingly content to do it without support. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 13 through 16, people were saying that his refusal to accept support was a sign he was inferior or not a good leader. I love how they were lobbying an accusation against him about his leadership when he realized that he needed to have his source not based upon men or men's wisdom, but his source had to come from Jesus. I'm thankful that Paul recognized that the weapons that I fight are not carnal. They are powerful for the moving of strongholds. There was a third one. There was an inference that Paul didn't portray the kind of authority he claimed to have. That maybe he looked a little weak and meeble. That he didn't look like he was talented and had all the great oratory skills. But I'm thankful that our anointing and our authority doesn't come from our giftings and our talents. They come from our position in Christ and our obedience to the mission that God has for us. We know that he was struggling with in-person communication. 2 Corinthians 11 verses 6 says he readily admitted how unskilled he was in in-person communication. But thanks be to God that his authority did not come from talent and gifting, but came from position in Christ and obedience to mission. Why is this so, such good news to the average churchgoer? Let me tell you why. Because your anointing and your authority that God's giving you is not based upon how good of a speaker or communicator you are. It doesn't matter if you're polished. It doesn't matter if you've got all these natural giftings and talents. If you will just stay positioned in Christ and on mission with obedience to him, there is nothing that God can't do through you in Jesus' name. What an incredible promise that is. There was even a charge, fifth charge was, there was a charge against how his boasting was unbecoming of an apostle. I don't know about you, but when I, when I look back on Paul's life, I think that he, he, he had all the authority just to squash people like a, like a spiritual bug, but he didn't because why? He knew that he didn't have enemies. He had mission fields. Listen to the response again to these criticisms. Here's what Paul wrote. For though we walk in the flesh, we, we are not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, destroy arguments, 
and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and to take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when my obedience is complete. Paul was essentially saying this, you are trying to win a spiritual war with a natural mindset. You may actually gain a crowd. You may actually have money in the bank. You may actually look holy and important. You will have a form, but the power of God you will not have. As a believer, it's my instruction to you to be more interested in your identity and position in Christ and your obedience to do what he's called you to do than rather looking the part. Many on that day will say, didn't I? Remember when I prophesied. Remember when I did those mighty works. And God's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, because I never knew you. The hope is in 2024 that you as a believer can know that you don't have to strive to prove something to God. You are already His. And you don't have to live to victory. You can live from victory. You can live from freedom. You can live from healing and wholeness and health. And you need to unleash the weapons of warfare that are mighty and from the Spirit. Here's what I fear as a pastor. These are the things that keep me up at night. I fear the most accepted and believed sermons that would be preached today would be something like this. 15 reasons why God won't heal you. Three reasons why you will always be stuck. You were meant to live broke and unhappy. Your, your, your marriage needs help. Oh, well. Your kids are destined for disaster. Just keep, keep, keep going forward with that. I, I am here to tell you that I am a faith peddler, a hope dealer, and the weapons that I fight with are not carnal ones that will agree with people in their despair to keep them there. Us as believers, we have weapons that are called faith, hope, and love. And if we will be people of the Spirit, that when the world looks at people and says they're stuck, it is the faith that will rise in us as God's people that will say, you're not stuck, your breakthrough is on its way, and it's here. Carnality, though, is readily accepted in the church. Isn't it funny that we're more comfortable with seeds of doubt than we are seeds of faith? Anytime that I, I declare something in faith, I'm going to be honest with you, I can feel the reverb in the crowd in the carnality that's in the American church. Oh no, pastor, you're going to cause people to be disappointed. People are just going to believe that and they're just, it's never going to happen. And what we do if we're not careful in the church is we begin to, to wrap the, 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 the wonderful, powerful gospel in human reasoning and human wisdom with human intellect and begin to allow people to agree that life is hard, and the place of agreement becomes life is hard, not that God is good. And this pastor, where you're going to find me my whole life and my whole ministry, I'm going to be convicted till the day I die in Jesus' name, that I'm not going to waver, that we serve a good God who wants to give good things to his kids, and we can be faith-filled and have the even-if kind of faith. Do you know what the even if kind of faith is? That even if it doesn't happen, you're going to find me believing. You're going to find me believing that God's a good God, that God has good things in store, 
that if I get burned in the fiery furnace, even if my God does not, you're going to find me standing, believing, and trusting that we serve a good God in Jesus' name. And it's the even if kind of faith that needs to hit the church. That when people that have good reasoning and good arguments and they can talk to you about how, how life is hard and they'll give you 48 examples of how life is hard and how you shouldn't have faith, that if you will just stand and you will say, man, do we serve a good God who gives good things to his kids. If you're here this morning and you're new to church and you're new to the faith, do not position yourself with people in the church that will agree more with the enemy than they will with God. Find yourself next to faith-filled people that are willing to stake it all on him. Not human reasoning, not human understanding. That we serve a, listen to me, we serve a good God who gives good things to his kids. And us as the church, we have to begin to herald the message of the simple gospel. Of course life is hard, but even more importantly than that, man, God is good. Isn't God good? He's good all the time. He's good. He's good when I see him. He's good when I don't see him. He's good when I understand it. He's good when I don't understand it. He is a good God, and he does good things. The Word of God said it's the prayer of faith that will save the sick. It is faith that brings vision for the house of God. It is faith that brings vision for my business. It's faith that brings business for my family. It is faith in the end that pleases God, and it is faith that advances the kingdom. I believe if you're not careful, carnal Christians are convicted about the reasons why it won't happen. Do you know how I'm such an expert on this? Is because I, I was raised in a business house where I was taught that in business, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. That is the Newton's law of, a, of owning a business. I mean, my, my dad would stay up all hours of the night anticipating everything that could go wrong. We owned our own asphalt company, and we would, I mean, it was hard work from when I was 10 years old till I was almost in my mid-20s, 25 years old. I mean, we were in Redding at 110 degrees laying asphalt. I remember telling my dad one time, Dad, why don't we just rent a tractor so this work is easy? And he says, well, son, do you want a job or do you want the tractor? It's the kind of, it's the kind of place I was raised in, you know, the, the, the business mind there. Like, do you want to get the pick or do you want me to go get the tractor? Because I could do both, and I don't really care, but if you want to get paid and you want to learn, you know, that was my dad in a nutshell. But he would always say at 3 o'clock in the morning as we're heading to the job site, anything that can go, wrong, can go wrong will go wrong. It is Newton's law of business. I don't think it was Newton's law of business, but I think he, he sort of made that up. That mindset. So I was, raised, I was raised in this mindset to make sure that you look across every nook and corny, corner and, and any cubby hole and, and look for the problem with something. And then I get saved in this powerful move of God where carnal Christianity tells me why it can't happen, but faith-filled Christianity tells me it's already happened, and all I got to do is walk it out. All I got to do is walk it out. And I want to tell you something. It messed with me as a person. Even, even this pastor, I will tell you, it is easier for me at times to look at the half glass empty rather than the half glass full. Now, so listen to me, listen to me. Faith has characteristics. Faith is optimistic. Faith, faith is not pessimistic. It's believing the good report. It's, it's, it's I'm not going to believe the doctor's report. I'm going to believe the word of God. I'm not going to, listen to me, I'm not going to believe my own experience. 
I'm not going to believe my own circumstance. And that's hard. Because I've had some circumstances and some experiences in my life that beg to differ what I'm, what I'm called to do and believe out of this word. But faith-filled believers believe in the word of God and what it says in the kingdom principles over what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've experienced. Because faith-filled is a lot different than carnal-filled. Spirit-filled and led Christians are convinced that it's already happened and they are on a journey to see what was already given. I want to be found as a believer rooted in the conviction of having an even-if kind of faith. It's rooted that the conviction that the, that the promises and destinies that I have been assured of will come to pass in God's timing and plan, all the while being convinced of it. That is the definition of having faith. I know, ma'am, your circumstance doesn't seem like God's on your side, but He is. Sir, I know the addiction that you've struggled with and you seemingly can't get out of. I know it seems like God's not on your side, but listen to me, He is. And it's one moment away from your life changing forever if you will take the measure of faith that He's given you. It only has to be the size of a mustard seed. Just say, Lord... My life is in your hands, and I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm believing that today by faith, I am going to be a new creature, creation, born again into the faith family in Jesus' name. I believe that the moment that faith is released, the carnal will be attacked. The carnal will attack. And I, I, I came this morning on the first Sunday of, of, of January in 2024 to ask our church a question. What are you going to be? A person of faith? Or a carnal Christian who walks in immaturity and never sees the victories that God has for you? The Bible frames this battle as it comes back to the keyboard as a war between darkness and light. Our culture loves a good origin story. My wife and I just went and watched Wonka, the story of uh, the origin story about how Willy Wonka became Willy Wonka. And no one told me that it was a musical. <laughs> so wrong. I had cheer up Charlie in my head for like a week. It was crazy. I mean, we're just fascinated with origin stories. The Bible gives us the origin story of Satan or Lucifer was given free will and authority over a third of God's kingdom along with Michael and Gabriel. They were like generals over God's kingdom. The Bible tells a story about Satan allowed pride to rise up and he desired to be like God. It's amazing, and even in the Old Testament, you can see God's mercy at work in heaven. The Bible says that Lucifer committed iniquities. It wasn't just that he committed an iniquity and God smote him. It was that he was committing iniquities in heaven but even God's mercy and grace in heaven has seen that he was giving Lucifer a space to repent. It's incredible, right? You begin to see God's mercy and grace. God cast him down, and the war has been being waged ever since. But the enemy doesn't wage war against God because he can't win. He already knows. But he wages war against God's prized creation. You and I have been entered into this war, and the battle over our affection is intense. 
Satan, paraphrasing this pastor's teaching as I've read scripture, Satan finds a secret power to wage war with. He uses a thing called deception or deceit. He tries to convince God's kids that they are forgotten, that the promises aren't for them. He'll whisper in your ear and tell you that God doesn't see you, doesn't see your problems, doesn't see your issues. God's forgotten about you. The deceit, though, is not just found in the unbeliever, but it's also found in the believer. There are people in this room that have been serving the Lord for years and decades that believe that God has forgotten about them, and that is the greatest trick the enemy has plays in deception. You see this darkness that's seen in our world, evolution, humanism, self-seeking, pleasure-seeking, materialism. Here's how powerful the darkness is. You attain it, and you're more empty than when you started. You go for it again like a rat on a reel, always chasing and never attaining. You chase after money, but you never have enough money. You chase after fame, but you never have enough fame. Some of the most miserable people in our world are the people that have the most money and they're the most popular. Hurt leads to hurt, this darkness. It peddles a lie to not just the world, but people in the church that God has forgotten about them. And when this kind of philosophy is found in the church, it leads to a powerless Christianity. A Christianity where an addict can never get delivered, where a person can never get healed, where a marriage can never be restored, where a church can never advance, where an outreach can never be done. We feel our, our, our places of worship all over America peddling like dentists or chiropractors, if you're a dentist or chiropractor, you're gonna understand what I'm gonna say. Um, oh, it's gonna take nine visits for you to come back. You hear what I'm saying? Like, you, know, you need to come on church on Sunday because you're never gonna be free. You, you need to come back again, you need to come back again, you need to come back again. And if we're not careful, the church is turned into this business entity that the only way that we can get people to come to our church is by telling them that your need is always going to be there when really church on Sunday morning should be a celebration of the freedom found in Christ and what he's doing out there. And this pastor is a cheerleader, is a cheerleader of faith. You, you do ne never want your pastor to agree with your addiction or your, or your hurt or your or your sickness. Now I understand it and I've got empathy and compassion for you, but you need to find your pastor. You need to find fellow believers that are found in faith that your victory is, is not, listen to me, your victory, your victory is not just going to come one day, but by faith in Jesus, it's going to come today. And if it doesn't, even if it doesn't, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to, I'm going to put the coat of faith on and I'm going to say it's coming today in Jesus name. It's coming today in Jesus' name. It's what the old-timers did. They, they, they knew it. They, they, they've got some kingdom principles in mind. The old-timers would say, Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus is coming back soon. With tears in their eyes, they would say, Jesus is coming back soon. They would, they would uh, sisterhood, my, my, my pastor's wife, my wife's grandmother, she would, she would come to us as young people and she would say, look us square in the eyes with all the conviction that she had, and she would say, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. 
And you know what began to happen? We begin to believe her. We begin to believe the faith, the Smotherman family. How do we, how do we make it? We made it. When I, when I look at Will and Miriam and Josh and Chloe, and when I look at our family and I, I look at Chase and I look at Demian, they're never gonna know the life that we knew. They're not gonna know the chaos. They're not gonna know the struggles. They're not gonna, they're not gonna know the addictions because why? God has a way of changing family trees forever. What an incredible thing. And he's no respecter of persons. Just because I'm up here and I've got pastor in front of my name does not make me any more special than any of you. I am a child of God, just like you were a child of God. And you have all the rights and benefits that I have. But what you're gonna do is you're gonna find yourself believing. And when this kind of philosophy is found in the church, it leads to powerless Christianity. A God who could heal, deliver, free, bless, but chooses never to do so. Christians believing that we are called to live underneath, beneath, always addicted, never free, never advancing, and never attaining. You have to have faith as part of your weapons. A belief that the promises of God are not just for them, but they're for me. Then this morning, it happens. The men and women who get tired of eating the fruit of this kind of life and go on a search for a better answer to prodigal living. In the darkness of the world, they start asking questions many of us have asked. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Is this all there is to life? In the darkness of the church, teenagers will ask, is, all, is this all there is to God? What, why, they ask questions like this. Why am I not seeing the book of Acts today in the American church? You ever ask yourself that question? Why, why am I not seeing what's written in here, in here? You start probing yourself with the questions. And then those kinds of questions can lead to the greatest awakening one can have, a real encounter with the presence of God. He sends his presence. The very hand of God reaches out and touches human flesh. Not just any, but yours. That's what salvation is. Stepping from darkness to light, being born again. Essentially, it's an awakening to a new life. And in this new life, listen to me, there are new presets. There are new thoughts. There are new ways. There is a new life. And wherever you're at, in the world, in the church, if you're viewing online, if you're viewing online a week from now, a month from now, six months from now, you have to know that there is a new life that's being extended to you with new presets, with new beliefs, with new faith, that we serve a God that can, if you will. If you will take these hands of yours, I don't know about you, but these hands have done some pretty awful things in their life. These eyes have viewed some pretty awful things. These ears have viewed some, listened to some very awful things. 
But God has a way of taking these awful things and making them beautiful again. It happens. It happens. It happens in a moment where a church or a man or a person gets tired of eating from the philosophy of human reasoning and they realize that a new life is being offered to them. A life full of faith, full of hope, full of love, and full of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name. Brooke, would you sing a song? Church, would you stand up? Hallelujah. The atmosphere is changing now For the Spirit of the Lord is here Oh, the evidence is all around Oh, Spirit of the Lord faith but the evidence that I see is oftentimes to the contrary and here's what I'm going to do I'm going to take authority of every thought that tries to exalt itself above the heart and will of God and we're going to cast it down and we're going to take these hands and we're going to declare that we're going to be people of faith people of the spirit so enemy I command you to release the people of God in Jesus name Every thought that has tried to hold itself above the will and mind of Christ and the people's hearts be rebuked in the mighty name of Jesus. We pull down strongholds. We pull down ways of thoughts that are from past living and carnal, carnal thinking. And Father, we declare life in Jesus' name. We declare newness and wholeness and born-again experiences. Father, we pray a programming of new presets of faith, hope, and love, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And Father, we ask, Father, that you'll do it now in Jesus' name. That the measure of faith that's found within these believers, Father, will begin to rise up and overflow like a well, like a bubbling brook in Jesus' name. 
Would you lift up your hands all across this church? Come on, lift up your hands in faith. Heavenly Father, do it now in Jesus' name. Paul, when he wrote Timothy, he said to stir up the gift of God that's found within you. A lot of, a lot of people don't understand the kingdom principle of stirring up the faith that God's dropped inside of you. It's a reason why our worship team sometimes will sing a song two or three or four times, because you have to understand, it's not about reading words on a screen, it's about faith rising up in your heart in declaration telling your flesh to be quiet and I am going to be a person of faith. So when my wife sings this song, the atmosphere is changing, what she's declaring is in your family and in your life and in your home, the doubting, pessimistic, carnal side of who you are as a believer is no more the atmosphere is changing. And what God is doing, he's releasing new faith and new hope and new love. And what you're gonna see is you're gonna see an explosion of faith in your life. And what God is doing, behold, God is doing a new thing. Look to your neighbor and say, he's doing a new thing. Can't you even comprehend it? And so where I wanna be found as a man, as a leader of my home, as a husband, as a father, is I wanna be found in faith believing in Jesus' name. Bear's gonna come up, just before Bear comes up, would you stretch your right hands towards heaven all across this room and say, Father, it's me. I wanna be a person of faith. Come on, declare it out loud. I'm going to be a person of faith in Jesus' name. I'm going to be a person of faith, not a carnal Christian, not a casual Christian. I'm going to be a person of faith. Bear is going to close our service out this morning. The Lord gave him a picture during worship. He didn't know what I was going to be talking about. He didn't know uh, what was being going to be shared today. But there's an element of, of unity and walking together. Share with the people what you saw. hands and I heard the voice of God say do you want to move forward I said yes I want to move forward and he said here's what forward looks like it looks like unity forward looks like the covenant that you've taken with the elements understanding that you're not in a covenant with me individually you're in covenant with me as a body and what's happened in the body is we've divided we've uh, agreed with the accuser of the brethren. We've uh, uh, agreed with the very one that in heaven chose rebellion. And we've viewed God's body as separate. And we've viewed individually as, as a separation. And we've been able to call people as the enemy wants them instead of what God wants them. And that's illegal. That's illegal. We are not we are not, we are not part of the accuser of the brethren. So I want to walk this out prophetically. I want everybody to grab each other's hand. 
And what you get to do for the person to the left and to the right of you is you get to say, I agree with heaven for you. I agree with who God's called you to be. I agree with the blood of Jesus and who he's called you to to be. And I agree with the faith of heaven for you. Yes. Right, I choose to be in covenant with you because we're all one body. And I choose to declare over you that you get to be perfected body, soul, and spirit because that's what Jesus died for. There are no gaps in heaven, right? He said, bring heaven on earth, right, as it is in heaven. And so that's what we get to declare over one another. So with one voice, Father, Father, We say yes. We say yes to the person on our left and right. They're created in your image, and we do not accept anything less, Father. There are no counterfeits anymore in the name of Jesus. Father, there are no limitations. There is nothing impossible for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So the person on our left and right, they're called according to your purpose. They were chosen already before the foundations of the earth, and we don't accept any less. So we call out faith. Father, we just call out faith and we will be the encouragers. We will be the lifters of each other's heads. You can count on us to say yes. You can count on us for the next move. Bring anybody you want into our lives and we will love them and we will trust your love for them and see them break free in the name of Jesus. So we just declare, my King, we declare, my King, heaven on earth right now in Jesus' name. Yes. We are to be people of faith in Jesus' name. Give the Lord one big round of applause. This pastor loves you. I'll see you tonight, 5 o'clock for prayer, 6 o'clock for our service. Fill our hearts with